Why don't we uh, ask God's blessing? Dear Lord, we're grateful for this word in front of us. We're grateful for our Lord in Christ. We're grateful for his holy apostles. We'd ask that you would build us into beings that serve the kingdom they spoke of. In your son's, your son's name we pray. Amen. Now I can imagine as you look at the sermon notes, I myself am somewhat encouraged. I mean, we're talking almost 18-point type. Made it just to halfway down the page. And you're saying to yourself, I know this is a setup. He's, he's just going to go on forever about this. Because you know the, the outline on the left-hand side, it's just as long as it usually is, even though the text is so short. Well, we live in hope. Okay, we live in hope. And I hope that you're, uh, you don't feel yourself struggling with the, the threat of too much Bible. I was thinking about this yesterday. Uh, we were waiting to go to the party out of the Connects, and so I reported in for duty in the backyard. There was a chair and the sunshine and a short cigar and nobody to bother me, and so I went out there and sat down to discover later it was a wet chair, which affected the rest of my day. But uh, sat there and thought about things, you know. I don't know why I thought about vows. It has nothing to do with current events. But one of the things I've been asking myself lately, whenever I look at a thing that we know is bad, because we have been for so many centuries legalists, for so many centuries people say it's wrong because God said so. Mom and dad treat it that way. You can't do it because I said so. And I said so, that means I'll punish you if you do it. All right, okay. Now we accept that, but when we get philosophical, maybe get out on our own into the wide world and, and we're looking at X, the behavior X, and there's no mom and dad there, not really sure whether the rules God said are really applicable. Why is something wrong? I was thinking about vows. Whose kid is that? Oh, yours. Our kids, our grandkids never made that noise this year. Never. Um, for the record, those of you who are out on the internet, that child is making the most disgusting noises in the middle of the congregation of the saints. Just no, he's not. The little sinful sack is an unbeliever. Okay, let's back to the scriptures. So I was asking myself, vows. Why are vows wrong? Or breaking vows? Excuse me. Why are breaking vows wrong? And my mind immediately said, why is lying wrong? Because that's what a broken vow seems to be, is you lied to somebody in a form. And why are posers wrong? Why are the pretentious wrong? Everything that the incorrect information came at you from the person vowed, I swear on a stack of Bibles, 
my mother's grave. Hopefully your mother has passed. Stack of Bibles. What'd that just do? Well, I told you it was very important. I really believe that you should believe me because I wanted you to imagine a stack of Bibles which has all the amuletish power of one Bible times whatever a stack holds. Fifteen? Fifteen Bibles worth of sanctity. That magic, you put your hands on it and you swear on it. You, you go into a court of law, they... They don't never opened it. They don't know where they even got it. Probably been in the courtroom for centuries. And you swear with your hand on a Bible. You swear with your hand on a Bible. When I went in the Navy, you had to swear or solemnly affirm. Because for those of us who obeyed this passage we're looking at, we solemnly said yes rather than I swore. So one of those regular things that has the sound of spirituality on one side, oh, I'm the kind of person who vows. I vow things. You, know, you walk down the aisle in the church in a big white dress that everybody says you spent too much money on and, and your daughter will never wear it. And you swear. Before God and these witnesses, that you will love, honor, and cherish. We sort of feel, yeah, that's a pretty powerful thing. Let's let's be doing more of that. Leviticus 19. You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. And you shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired servant will, shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. And remember that phrase, I am the Lord, is I am Yahweh. When he says, you not, shall not swear by my name falsely, comma, is it comma? period, or semicolon, or colon. I am Yahweh. So as I looked at that passage, I'm in this passage, Leviticus 19, because it is the passage Christ quotes in the next passage down. He refers to this. So I wanted to put the context of the thing he quoted. But you notice what he says about swearing. He says, not swear falsely. The problem with oaths is not ratcheting up the measure by which you swear it, because you're trying to get people to believe you, because you know being believed is key. And that's why swearing falsely is a profanation. It's a it drags God's name into it. He doesn't want to be dragged into it. But what's the, I mean, is it just that? Is it just blasphemy? Sometimes people think of swearing, cussing, oath-taking as more like I took the name of the Lord in vain. That's part of it. But that's the part I want you to think about today. 
Because sometimes we're, when we're in a sinful mood, when we're all about ourselves, we're, we've already written that one off. We're not really, if I want to say, and you know how, how good it feels to say, Jesus Christ, right? One of your friends does something dumb to their car, Jesus Christ. And realize, hold it. You know that damn it goes to great importance when it's God, damn it. And some people are a little flinching, probably, that the pastor said, God, damn it, in church. But we're doing that for a reason, right? We, we, we reach that bit of being profane, taking the name of the Lord thy God in vain, with one set of problems. Not the one I'm thinking of this morning. The one I'm thinking of this morning shows up kind of in verse 11 at the beginning of the Leviticus passage. Nor deal falsely nor lie to one another, in verse 11. And then in verse 14, you shall not curse the deaf. That's just, yeah, really? It's kind of fun. Or put a stumbling block before the blind. That is also good comedy. I remember when my brother went blind for a little bit. You might not have known this about Doug. He, uh, this is, what was he, a senior in high school. I was a junior. And he was tanning, because there's no sun in Michigan, tanning with a sun lamp, because there were no tanning salons. But Doug was an inveterate reader. He said, I'm gonna kill two birds with one stone. I'm gonna read while I tan. So he read while he tanned, squinting because of the tanning light which burned his eyes right across the middle. Gross, blistered, and green, and blind. Which he realized later that night as he wandered out into the yard and couldn't find his way back to the house. So we took him to the hospital. He got his eyes all bandaged up. And first I had to draw eyeballs on the bandages. And then I rearranged the furniture. Because, here's a passage of scripture, put a, it says right there, put a stumbling block before the blind, right? So I did. And, you know, I, I mean, I had to put it back after there's a few tumbles, but the, the comedy was gold. Why shouldn't we lie, deal falsely, set things up for someone who can't see that what they think is going to happen isn't. You know what that's like to step that last step on a flight of stairs that isn't there. I mean, your whole heart raises to you. You're just, you know, this is it. Sweet Jesus, I'm coming home. You know, that's. What's the problem? Now, It's we're mostly concerned with vows about breaking them. But by the time you get to Christ, Matthew 5, some of you are saying, he's already halfway through the text. It's not even 11. How many verses is that? Five verses? We'll see if we can make them stretch. Again, this is Christ. This is Sermon on the Mount. This is a series of things you have heard it said, you have heard it said, you've heard it said. And he's leaning into their law 
you know, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say unto you, and then he just turns it up to 11. You've heard it said that it was said. You've heard that it was said to the men of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. It is better that you not vow than vow and not pay. The concern is the communication with a lie, with a false vow, of unpaid vow. All of our righteousness, and Al and I were talking about this last night, not late, but late enough. Um, matter of fact, he asked me if my notes, I've been writing down notes on this uh, on the porch, and were there sermon notes? And I said, no, they're just some thoughts I was having. But that sparked me to go, maybe I better look this up. And it ends up being a, the sermon. Well, you know, we're both very aware that in the New Covenant, all Christian virtue is not law-oriented. The law is passed away. You are set free. You are, you are called to freedom, my brethren. We know that that's the case. But love fulfills all the righteous requirements of God in a way that's different than a law keeper. You cover it by love. Love does not wrong his neighbor. Now we know if that is the underpinning of all good love, that the violation of love, the turning away from someone rather than turning towards them, is how it becomes evil. Because it's clear that breaking your vow is evil, or swearing a vow falsely, or lying to someone, or rearranging the furniture when they're blind. But I say to you, Christ, what is Christ's response? He doesn't say, you know, make really saintly vows and keep them. He says, no, I say to you, do not swear at all. either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Now Christ is leaning into us all the other commandments. You have heard it said, he makes more difficult. Okay? More centered on what you really are as a person, lusting after a woman in your heart, hating your brother in your mind, all those sorts of things. This goes that direction too, but the application of it seems to be so, well, simplified. He says, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. That's where it lands on you. I don't know if you regularly swear on your mother's grave. I don't know whether you regularly swear on a stack of Bibles. I don't know, that could be just sort of your culture or your, the cliches you, you come back around to. And I'm not going to say to you that when you take an oath, if I, if I had sworn before the people at the recruiting center that I was going to 
serve the Constitution and all of its enemies, foreign and domestic. I don't necessarily think that I, it was like going out and getting drunk type of evil, but it comes from evil. And this evil, it's the basic word used for evil, but the calamitous annoyance, malignance in the world, bad things happening, not evil like you picture Satan being evil, evil. or I don't know who the evil people are in your mind, but um, it's the things that damage the world, hardships, badness, and everything that you step into, if you, anything more than yes or no, is in a world that is violating or trying to violate to one degree or another. And I was thinking, what kind of illustration could I give? Now, I was in graphic design for a number of years, and uh, Photoshop, and I enjoy doing Photoshop, and it's amazing what you can do in Photoshop. You can make marginal people a lot better than marginal. And I was thinking, what if you had a, a, a thing you could wear? You didn't have to put makeup on. You just had to have the Photoshop click thing, the push, click, and you became absolutely handsome, absolutely beautiful, unless the batteries ran out that everyone who saw you saw you the way you had designed the faiths at home. Your jawline, your, the sparkliness of your eyes, everything there. You just... What's the problem with that? It isn't true. You're lying to everybody. I'm not this handsome. I have the, I have the button. I have the device. Oh, give us time. We'll figure out a way to do it. They're working on holograms and watching concerts of dead people. Well, a personal hologram would just to throw it up on your face. You'd finally be, you know, I could be Tom Selleck or Sean Conray. What's wrong with that? Well, what's going on, you say, sounds a lot like makeup. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, for some people, it's like that with makeup. It's like... I've watched commercials where the makeup is actually applied with a spray gun, a little tiny feminine spray gun, you know. At a certain point, you say, okay, am I telling the truth? Am I, I mean, to some degree, is this the person? What happened to Jacob with Leah? Wakes up in the morning after marrying, inadvertently, Rachel's sister. And there was Leah, looking like she had weak eyes. Whatever that means. That sort of revelation we don't want to find. We don't want to realize that this lovely woman with great, you know, great smile, great teeth. I don't know how many of you had like massively expensive orthodonture, but genetics didn't get orthodonture. And you married some guy because he said, what a lovely smile. I want my kids to have that lovely smile. Well, $40,000 later, they will, because she passed on the genetics of her mouth, not her dental work. Does that all come from evil, and why? What is it? When, it, when it has this gradient, if I wear a jacket, I'm a, I'm a hefty guy, right? Black Kenny calls me pork chop. We wear a jacket to church. I'm sweating. 
because I'm wearing a jacket. Um, but it's slimming. I want you to know that. Okay? There's a quality that says, well, you can't really tell his contours with a jacket on. Somewhere along the line, I'm doing something bad to our communication. I don't want to stand here without a shirt on. Okay? I'm not going to be brutally honest. So, welcome. Nice to hear people are listening. So when it says this comes from evil, when a person does, I'm not sort of the person who says, this is coming from the malignancy that's in the world. What is the malignancy? What is the thing that is making this evil? Here's the deal. That's what I'm trying to communicate this morning. Why lying is bad, misleading, vowing illegitimately, being an imposter, the other person believes you. That's what you hope they will, especially if it's on a stack of Bibles. Your mother's grave, that's valuable stuff right there. And if they believe you and you were not being honest, what happens? It's like rearranging the furniture with the blind person. Speaking to the guy, cursing the guy who's deaf, who can't hear you. You can call him all sorts of names. And he's just smiling because he doesn't understand. All of us labor. You've, I mentioned it last week, and I apologize. If I get on hobby horses. That's what pastors do. You're all subjective agents. All that you know is a subjective conclusion of that which you perceived. That's why we like to have good eyesight. That's like why we like to know whether we're tasting the wine correctly. I was sitting in the backyard, putting my glasses on, taking them off, putting them on, realizing, you know, I'm seeing the tree over there, but it's this fuzzy green mass. And now the focus, the reality of it, the same degree of focus I would have if I walked up to it. I'm being given at a distance that which I would have up close. Correct image. That's what they call it, corrective lenses, I believe, right? At least they used to. What's the correction? That you see what is. Not that you see something else. Because we are desperate to know what is. We know that if we perceive, we get together with friends and we talk and we argue things out, both theologically, philosophically, historically, politically, whatever, because we want to perceive the world the way it actually is. You've heard me say, and maybe some others, reality has a way of catching up with bad doctrine. <laughs> and if you're believing lies, if you're handing out lies because you're free with your vows, you know, trust me, I swear on my sacred honor, to get people to believe that which they shouldn't. Because they are not being loved if I hand them falsehood. The basic thing, I can look at a tree all day long from maybe 50 yards away and try to figure out what in the world it is. Some Aristotelian set of categories. I can't walk up to it. 
But as soon as I get a group of my pals to sit down on the grass, and we're going to all look at the tree together. Maybe we'll send somebody over there to look at the tree, do some measurements. Come back. Our company together, communicating with each other, speaking with one another, it's absolutely, desperately important that what we've done is love one another in it. And the love means that you're not rearranging the furniture for the guy who's blind. You're not telling him something that might not be true, that might not turn out, that we are to be the kind of people that are so close to the actual, that we know what God has done in this world, and that we care about knowing because whenever I talk to another, whenever I talk to another person, it's... Uh, it's desperate. They're looking to find out more about the actual. I have a house that people come over to almost every night. Sit in my back porch, front porch, library, and we talk about things. I don't smell the desperation, but they want to talk about things as they are because they want to figure out through reason and authority the word of God, what is. Because all of us, none of us can escape that we are subjective agents. And you'll never be anything more than subjective agents. So what you pull in from the honesty and dishonesty of the people around you, who you listen to, what you believe is truth-bearing, it all really, really matters. And it's an expression of our love that we say the truth to one another. I like that phrase, I think it's in Romans 12. Let love be genuine. And a lot of us who don't think about love this way are thinking about it in terms of, you know, make sure you really feel for the person. Really, because that's genuine. What someone sees in you ought to be real. There shouldn't be a pretense. There shouldn't be a pose. There's no imposture. It lets us know. Back there in the Leviticus passage that he is the Lord. It says that a couple of times. You shall fear your God. You should have one of the ways to avoid being this burden of unloving deception where people are walking away from a conversation with you knowing less about their universe rather than more. Because you cannot work out peace. You cannot work out order unless you're perceiving things correctly. Ladies, if you've ever reached into a drawer of spices and somebody has put the celery salt where the MSG used to be, whatever it is you were normally picking up and you added the wrong thing and a lot of it. You know, the images are constant. You could come up with metaphors for it easily that we make awful mistakes when we don't know what we're seeing, what we're accounting for. And we are bringing that into one another's lives. And that means that we've got to stop and start to fear our God. Do you know that when you swear... On heaven itself, it's the throne of God. 
and the earth is his footstool. Do you understand that? Do you understand what it really is? Sometimes when somebody says, now my mother died, when did she die, 10 years ago? 11? 10 years, 10 years ago. So I can say, and I know where my mother's grave is, up in the Moscow Cemetery, and I could swear on my mother's grave, but people would go, ah, oh, Evan, I knew your mom. I don't think you should be doing that. A little bit tense about the lack of reverence for his mother and her passing. On one hand, that's what you want them to think. This is important, so I'm using it to swear by. But it also means that if someone does that, they don't really know what's important. They don't know that heaven is more important than they think it is. They don't know that the earth is more important than they think it is. Some things you probably even, you could say, yeah, heaven is the throne of God, and yes, earth is footstool. But then it says Jerusalem is the city of the great king. You just don't have your categories worked out. We are supposed to be people who are trying to perceive, because we're in company together, we're in, we're in membership together as believers, we're all walking through life just like everyone else in the world trying to figure it out. And we've got the leg up. We've got the honesty brigade. People who say, you know, and we can't lie to each other. Do not lie to one another. And the rest of the world is out there lying because, oh, I wouldn't want to tell them the truth. They might, you know, it would hurt them. So a little white lie is not a problem. So when you tell a lie, which, by the way, don't, but if you did, and you got right with God, say you became a Christian afterwards, you probably got to go straighten that out with that person because, you know, they are living in a world. If they believed you, they're living in a world where they think what you said was true opinion of somebody else, some of the gossip that went through to, out of you, something that you heard that wasn't checked out and you passed it on, some promise you gave them, I'll be there for you, man, if it's ever... And they're believing that. We are responsible to find the actual, God's kingdom, the way it is, the way he made the world to be, and speak simply in regard to it by yes or no. Yeah. And when you say, yeah, I'll be there, you will be there. In other words, you know how important it is for other people to build a world on what you say. Your children are listening to you build a world, and they're, trying, they're going to be building a world on what you say to them. That's why things end up being evil, and we're not even aware. Because most of life, we're living in a pretty chaotic time right now. And um, we were talking in the library a few weeks ago in the middle of the you know, lockdown, and what would be the one thing you would change if you could just snap your fingers and one key concept would be changed in the whole world? They would believe it. And we couldn't have righteousness be it, you know, belief in Jesus. It had to be belief in something else, that they would no longer be, they would be imminently logical. 
We know how much the world is confused right now. I was talking to, I think, Manisha and Davis at the party yesterday about how we don't, nobody, nobody knows what is the thing you can believe. You have video of the same person saying completely opposite things on opposite channels. And it's, it's how, how does this a bizarro world for Superman? Is that I, I don't know what's going on here. How could we vote? How could we know what we were about? We wish we had the ability to make decisions based on peace. Here we are. The mayor throws something at the town, and we've all got to make up our minds individually. And it looks a little bit more like a church with you guys spread out like this. Should I spread out? Should I wear the mask? Leslie's going to Costco tomorrow because I'm not wearing that dang mask. We want to know. Our lives are disrupted. We know the lack of peace we have because we don't understand. Do not be part of other people not understanding. Do not be part by lying passing on, even stuff you don't know if it's true. The gossip of his unchecked things. Famous teacher, quote on the internet. Did he actually say it? I hear there's a lot of fake C.S. Lewis quotes out there. Don't be a part of the falsehood. Be the kind of person that people can trust when you say yes, it'll be yes. When you say no, it'll be no. You're not wanting to step into a world that is resting on an unknown quantity about whether or not the actual world, because you will not ever have access to the actual data. It only comes into you through your senses. We're desperate. We need peace. We need each other to be genuine. We need each other to be yes and no. We need to care about it enough to figure things out that we're a real addition to the conversation like that young man. You say to yourself, it's only 20 after. He's at the end of the passage. He's at the end of the outline. So let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you very much. You're good to us. You've given us a world in which to live, and it's a blessed, benevolent gift. We want to see it as it is. We want to live in it as it ought to be lived in. Lord, keep us Honest people who are yes and no, who care about that category that, the, that we each need to know what is out there, that we're, what we're seeing, how we're seeing it. We can raise our children, love our wives, and one another. In your son's name we pray. Amen.